CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Greetings one and all and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. My name is Michael Gerald, joined by no one. I'm doing these next couple weeks of the show solo before I announce a co-host who will join us for the rest of the season on the weekly recap show beginning on the... On the 17th, sorry, of September, we'll have a co-host for the rest of the year. So you'll have me solo for the next uh, two weeks, and then I'll have my co-host introduction, which will come up in a couple of weeks. Labor Day has passed. What a great bunch of games. Before we get into those games, let me just remind you that the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and on c- at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. So the Labor Day weekend saw some pretty classic football games, and there was none bigger than the one that occurred involving the Montreal Alouettes this past week, and it was Montreal... And Ottawa, the final score in that game favored Montreal by a 21-11 to 11 score. And really, the score was kind of not really flattering. But, you know, it did show that Montreal played pretty good for the vast majority of that football game. And maybe, maybe perhaps a little bit of a game missed opportunity for Ottawa and the Red Blats. Only putting 11 points on the board and all of a sudden one of the most prolific offenses in the CFL, at least in the top three in my books, just kind of hit the skid a little bit. Um, Really only, first off, failing to hit the end zone. They, I believe, had, and I'm just having a quick look here, it was a punt, it was a field goal, or sorry, a single a field goal in the second quarter, field goal in the third quarter, field goal in the fourth quarter to go with a single point, so four points. So kind of a defensive game, but Montreal as well left points on the field. So final 21-11, to 11, and it is the one point for Ottawa in the first, three in the second, three in the third, four in the fourth. Montreal gets uh, three in the first, six in the second, Nine in the third and three in the fourth. So the difference in scoring was the third quarter. And that is because uh, late in the quarter, uh, Montreal is able to put a touchdown drive together. Antonio pipped in a one-yard touchdown run, anchored by two Boris Beattie kick-off punt, or kick-off rouges, sorry, an 80-yarder and an 81-yarder. Ottawa only in the third quarter had a field goal from Lewis Ward, who continues his great season, uh, replacing Brett Maher, who 
I made an NFL team we found out is now the starting kicker for the Dallas Cowboys. So Louis Ward, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of thought, but maybe Ward could be in there for rookie of the year based on how he's kicked. He's been, if not one of the highest, the highest, uh, most accurate uh, field goal kicker to this season as far as uh, field goals made and percentage-wise. Some stats in this game, Antonio Pipton, 18 of 27 for 242 and no touchdowns and two interceptions. Trevor Harris for Ottawa, very respectable night, but the one that hurts is the zero uh, in the touchdown department. Ottawa did not hit the end zone in this game. Harris still managed the game fairly well despite one despite one uh, interception. He goes 25 of 46. For 270, a touchdown and an interception. So 270 to 242 now. One thing you'll notice is Antonio Pipkin. He took some deep shots, but he didn't necessarily get four completions. So we saw that live arm. Other interesting thing was that last minute, the rider, or sorry, last minute, the Alouettes, pardon me, got a Running back performance from starter Ryder Stone, 14 carries, 81 yards for a 5.8 yard average. William Powell, only 9 carries for 50 yards. A little bit lower on the average department at uh, 5.6, so a 0.2 yard average difference between the two. Montreal led by B.J. Cunningham, 8 catches for 107 yards for an average of 13.4. Dre Dowinson, 8 catches as well. Both of those are game high for 114 and a 14.3 yard average. First downs favored Montreal 22-21. Third down efficiency Ottawa was 2 for 3. They did go for it late and the game did not get it. That was their only mistake. Big thing here for Montreal all of a sudden is rushing yards. Uh, 156 to 58. Uh, passing yards 255 to 207 in favor of Ottawa. Total yards favored Montreal, 363 to 313, largely in part due to the running of Antonio Pipkin. And I'm just trying to see if I can pull up his rushing stats in the game. Uh, he, on the season in, I guess now, three games, he's played at 19 attempts for 130 yards. A 6.8 yard average, which is just ridiculous uh, for a starting quarterback and four touchdowns. A lot of those, of course, of the one-yard variety uh, when it comes to that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ottawa had a chance in this game to put the, I don't want to say proverbial nail on the coffin in the East Division to that. You know, as far from the truth, but they had a chance to move to seven and three. Instead, they moved to six and four, and they're scheduled in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this week at BC, then at Saskatchewan, so so two Western games, and then they host Edmonton, host Winnipeg, and at Edmonton. So BC, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Edmonton. So. Yeah, not a, not an easy uh, schedule for them coming up. And it's just the interesting thing, like, 
William Powell had such a good start to the year. Now he's being neutralized. And I think we can say this with just about anybody when it comes to uh, rushing attack, and in particular the Blue Bombers, and we'll get to that uh, coming up later on in this show. But overall, it seems like whenever they cannot um, run the ball with William Powell as effectively, they straddle offensively, and the two are correlated, I think, uh, with those two. Well, as you'll recall, there was a blockbuster trade between Hamilton and Montreal, which saw Johnny Manziel go to Montreal. All of a sudden, uh, Antonio Pipkin gets in because Johnny Manziel has an upper body injury, was placed in concussion protocol now. All of a sudden, Pipkin is 2-1 and one as a starter. He's won his last two, and I believe it will be Pipkin getting the call when they come out of the bye week this week. So kind of a unfortunately ill-advised uh, time to pick a uh, bye. Now, that being said, you know, each team has three, and uh, the Bombers here in Winnipeg will have their bye after this week. So... Interesting, the only team uh, that is close to finishing buys, of course, is the BC Lions. I think they had their third and final buy this past week. Saskatchewan has one more lap, but that's not till week, the final week of the season. So, you know, the Bombers are a little bit behind in the buy department. Montreal is as well. They have a couple coming up as everybody had games in hand on Montreal in the East. So Montreal just gets a chance to rest. I don't know if it's advantageous. Uh, I don't know if it's advantageous to uh, to have a bye uh, when you're rolling two in a row. You know you kind of want to keep it going, but give uh, gives them a nice rest and some nice uh, positive uh, momentum going into a bye. The next game of the week saw uh, Winnipeg going to Saskatchewan, and this game was a lot closer. Uh, I think than most than the score indicated, um, as well. Every game was kind of close. Uh, if you look at the scoring margin this week, um, Saskatchewan wins this one, 31-23, and the Bombers had a lead, and Saskatchewan rallied and put the game away thanks to a late drive in the fourth quarter and couple of poorly timed Matt Nichols interceptions. One off the opening drive. And the other is uh, late in the game as well when he had a chance to drive to at least tie it down by eight at the time. Um, so interesting for that. I mean, what I've seen, the temperature pretty high on uh, bomber pressure list for sure. Um but, uh, that being said, the Bombers did lose, although I saw more positive than negative for the most part of the game. Um, so I don't know what it is with the Bombers. They cannot seem to get uh, momentum in the second half. They had a chance uh, to extend leads and had two and outs and all that stuff. And just not good overall. They Now... How much of this is no Western Dressler and a bit of an inexperienced uh, receiving core? We'll wait to see. Um, sounds like Dressler, as of today, 
this being on Wednesday night, it is very interesting. But you know, Michael Shea said that uh, Weston Dressler was close to playing, and I'm not gonna say that the Bombers lost because of their inexperience at wide receiver. But I mean, you look at it. I mean, they moved Darvin Adams uh, into the middle. They had Temporal Tompkins who had a drop in the game, made up for it with a touchdown uh, later on. And then, of course, they had uh, Corey Washington as well. Uh, he was also, you know, so you're looking at, and I'm not trying to pit excuses here. Um, it is the fact that the Bombers are, you know, into two sort of younger uh, receivers with not very much experience. I'm not going to say that that hurt them, but I, I just don't know. Like, to me... It looked like in the Calgary game uh, that they couldn't get receivers that were wide open. Uh, they Calgary, as they do every single game, essentially, unless they shoot themselves in the foot, uh, do not give you those big plays. Uh, the Bombers don't want to say they live and die by the big play because they, that, that's, that wouldn't be true, but, you know, Matt Nettles just hasn't been able to find open receivers the last two weeks and... Uh, credit to Chris Jones, he made some adjustments uh, at halftime, and that's that's kind of what this game is about, right? Dave Dickinson, he made adjustments for the snaps at halftime when they were uh, trailing to the Blue Bombers, and Chris Jones did the same, and for whatever reason, when the second half hits, the Bombers kind of fall asleep a little bit, and that's, you know, they lose the football game, but I will say one thing, defense played very, very well, very, very respectable, uh, considering the circumstances. To me, this is on the offense. Uh, Matt Nichols, not the sole blame for the loss, but certainly his quarterbacking hasn't been that of what it, that of what we've come to expect from Matt in the last two years. Now, I don't want to open up a can of worms when I say this, but I wonder how close to 100% Matt Nichols is uh, injury-wise. Remember, he missed the first three games of the year. They were one and two, and he came back and spin up and down, to say the very least, with Matt Nichols. And I don't know. He just doesn't seem to be running with the same authority. He doesn't seem to. I don't know. It's, I don't want to say his confidence is shaken, but he's kind of had a very interesting last couple weeks, and you know, maybe him. Not being able to move around is kind of a hindrance to try to find open receivers. I don't know. It's Or maybe just the quality of opponents has been really, really good the last three weeks. And we were kind of fooled by the way the Bombers started there based on their schedule. We'll never know. But this week is a rematch with Saskatchewan. For Saskatchewan, I am very, very impressed with Jordan Williams-Lambert. He comes in, makes a couple big catches, naming Roosevelt, a couple more. But my concern with Saskatchewan is kind of the opposite that of Winnipeg. Um, Saskatchewan couldn't get their offense going for the largest part of the game. So the, that's what kept the Bombers in it. And, you know, Saskatchewan found the offense late in the game to kind of override the Bombers. And, you know, not to the fault of the defense at all. They did a great job holding them in most most points in the game. And... Saskatchewan found their offense, but 
I just don't know how long you can go riding this defense, special teams, touchdown a game, 14 points for you, basically for a while. You know what I mean? It's You have to get a little more from your offense. They had an interception returned at a one-yard line uh, on the first drive of the game that the Bombers had. Then they also had a punt return uh, later in the football game. So 14 points basically set up by defense and special teams. Yeah, you know what? 14 out of 31, to take that about half. You know, you're going to win games. But, you know, for a large portion of the game, Saskatchewan was looking for offense. And I don't want to say Saskatchewan backed into a, into a win. To that's the furthest from the truth. But... You know, when you look at just how um, how the schematics came about as far as, you know, offense late, you know, you want as much help as possible for sure. Finally, just some numbers uh, to crunch at you uh, from this football game. The Bombers fall to 5-6, and six, their first three-game losing streak in three years. The Riders are 6-4. and four. And we'll have a quick look at the game stats here in this one. Obviously, final score, 31-23. The difference in the game was a 14-3 outburst that we talked about in the fourth quarter. For a large portion, the Bombers were actually ahead of that game if you take out the fourth quarter. But football is a four-quarter, 60-minute game. Net Marshall, one-yard touchdown run uh, set, in, set up by that pitch that I was telling you about. Justin Medlock hits a 50-yard field goal in the first quarter. Second quarter, Timberwolf Tompkins, 31-yard touchdown reception uh, early in the second quarter. Then, of course, I mentioned the punt return. Uh, and Moore, 91 yards uh, for a Saskatchewan touchdown. And then Bombers get one back late in the second quarter. Darvin Adams, 10-yard touchdown catch from Chris Straveler. Teams exchange field goals in the... Third quarter, it is Brett Lauder at the end of the quarter and Justin Medlock. Actually, sorry, Brett Lauder, six minutes, uh, 42-yard field goal. Justin Medlock, 41-yard field goal at 2-0-1 of the quarter. Stetson gets a passing touchdown, 25 yards. Marcus State pen from Zach Caleros, uh, 15, 15, oh, sorry, 13-58, 7-16 uh, Medlock, uh, 40-yard field goal, and then the big play on a second-down gamble set up another Nick Marshall one-yard touchdown run, and that was set up by another turnover and a big play on second-down. I don't know who made that catch. I'd, memory escapes me who made that catch uh, on second-down down near the goal line in about with about a minute left uh, to salt the game away, which I thought was a risky play, but, you know, the wind games... Uh, to win games, that'll be, you know, you got to take some risks. And if it didn't work, then the Bombers get a chance with a lot of time on the clock. And they have a chance to come back and win. Not, regardless, they still had a chance at the end. But it was an unfortunate interception. Heck of a play. I think it was uh, Nick Marshall that made the play uh, as well. Matt Elam, by the way, was the one that brought back that one in the first quarter. Uh, so that definitely didn't help things. Bombers on the losing end of the turnover battle as well. So, you know, when you're on the losing end of a lot of turnover battles, uh, that will be 
Very, very interesting as well. We'll see what happens for sure when it comes to it. But uh, you just never know what's going to happen in the rematch. And I expect the Bombers to put a, a different performance uh, on the table in the rematch. But I expect Chris Jones to have a few more wrinkles in the offense. We are going to talk about the games on Monday right now. And we will begin with the Battle of Alberta on Monday afternoon. And I must admit, I did not see a lot of this game. Uh, more more so the second half to the end. Uh, Mike Riley, Bowley, Vi Mitchell, both teams with good quarterbacks. Rematch of the West Division Final. And from last year... And quite frankly, a last-second 43-yard field goal by Rene Paradis on a... Oh, I'll say it like it is. I, I didn't like the penalty that was assessed to Chris Edwards. But uh, nonetheless, that did give Calgary a first down. Uh, kept them on the field when it should have been third down. And Calgary takes that all the way in for a score. So the quick scoring summary here, uh, Edmonton and Calgary exchange field goals uh, in the first quarter. It is Sean White from 11 yards out, 831. Renee Paradis from 50 at 503. Last play the opening quarter. Tavares Daniels catches a 19-yard touchdown catch or touchdown pass, sorry, from Bowley by Mitchell. Makes the score 10 to 3 after the first quarter. Edmonton kind of pulls away again in the second quarter. They've been a really good second quarter team. Uh, Calgary only gets a 19-yard field goal from Rene Paradis. Edmonton counters with a two-yard touchdown run from C.J. Dable and a 45-yard catch and run touchdown, which was a nice one, uh, on one of the final plays of the, of the second quarter. Duke Williams, 45 yards from Mike Riley. Second half, Calgary scores the only four points of the third quarter on a field goal single, so a missed field goal by Rene Paradis. And he made a late in the quarter a 21-yard field goal. Fourth quarter, Rene Paradis, two more field goals, including the walk-off. All of the match happened in the last five minutes. Rene Paradis, 42 yards, 222, Sean White. Tied the game up again at 20 with a 43-yard field goal. And, of course, the walk-off, which was dated by the penalty. Mike Riley, 29 of, 19 of 28 for 250, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Bowley by Mitchell, 16 of 30, 255, one touchdown, one, uh, no interception. And the big story in the game was that Bowley by Mitchell did leave for a couple drives, was replaced by Nick Arbuckle after getting contacted in the lower body. He appears to be okay. Rushing staff, CJ Dable, 14 carries, 68 yards, 4.9 yard average, and one touchdown. Don Jackson, 17 carries, 115, 6.8 yard average. Both running bats did fumble the football once. Stop me if you've heard this before. Duke Williams. Six catches, 116 yards, 19.3 yard average, 
and one touchdown. Deveros Daniels, seven catches for 116 and a 16.60 average. Both Edmonton and Calgary, by the way, did lose uh, fairly substantial receivers as well in this game. And that was the fact because Jarrell Walker left the game with an injury. He's going to miss a couple weeks. Not expected to be season ending. Uh, Tamar Jordan did, uh, apparently, according to Dickinson, sustain a pretty serious injury. They haven't exactly found out the extent, but he does not have a good feeling about it. And, of course, there was another receiver that uh, got hurt. We'll touch on that in the nightcap. Uh, Jaywin Saunders, his season over on an injury. But we'll talk about that when we get to the uh, Calgary. Uh, well, sorry, when we get to the uh, fourth game, Battle of Ontario. So, what to expect in the rematch? I really do not know. Uh, it was kind of... Uh, very, very, it's a close game, but Edmonton made a couple mistakes, a fumble and a interception, which might really, for, for some reason, Edmonton plays a lot like Winnipeg, eh? Second half, I sent a stat over to my regular co-host, Ryan Coop, and I'm trying to find it right now, but, you know, it just goes to show how bad the Eskimos have been outscored in the second half of football games of late as well so it's just interesting maybe Edmonton's not as good as we thought they were and maybe Calgary is just that much better than everybody else but like I said uh, uh, Ryan today via text message there's just something about Mike Riley in November and I would not want to count the Eskimos out especially since there's been multiple games where Mike Riley's taking the game on his back and won it for his team so just a very interesting uh couple of ga- couple of games between Edmonton and Calgary they've had some big ones and you know if you look at it it's not that much of a rivalry really because or you know it's, it is a rivalry but it's not a rivalry built on hate it's a rivalry between two very good football teams and it's seemingly been those two for the top of the West Division the last couple of years uh, no disrespect to the other three teams involved. So they've really been, you know, of course Edmonton has a great top. Calgary does not. Uh, Calgary does not of late. They've lost the last two. So there's kind of the bragging rates there. And oddly enough, it would be kind of funny uh, with the fact that uh, it could be a Calgary-Edmonton. Uh, one of those two teams could be in the great top in Edmonton and it's, Kind of be ironic if Calgary's in the great top in Edmonton. That's, I don't know, that's just kind of weird. But could very well happen, of course. Interesting development there as well with the injuries, which we did talk about. Uh, do I want to talk about Chris Edwards? I mean, I guess I have to. I mean, isn't it very interesting how... Um, it's just very interesting that... You know, and I'm not going to want to sound like a divers going after the referees here, but I'll say it anyway. It's just interesting to me how in any sport, you know, you let a whole lot go as well. You know, you, you let a whole lot go as far as penalties and 
especially DPI and offensive pass interference and all that kind of stuff. And and then you call one that I think is marginal. Um, I guess you really, you know, you, you want to take it with a grain of salt because it's one of those you depend on, depends on who you talk to. I'm just not a big fan of, to me it looked like hand fighting more than impeding a position. I mean, I know we we talked about, a, you know, do you physically take the receiver off his route or, you know, and, and that to me is pass interference, right? It's, I mean, this five yard, I know it was a little contact, so no contact in the five yards. I don't know. It's, to me, and and this has kind of been a bother since the beginning of last year for me. To me, it's very much impossible to play defense in today's CFL. Uh, I don't know why, but they had the downtrend in scoring, and everybody thought it would be a panic uh, when it came to, oh, no, we don't have any scoring, so now let's try to find a way to get some offense. And, you know, they tilted the r- rules, and rightfully so, in the direction of offense because that's what the CFL wants. But I think there's those traditionalists that like it as a good defensive hard-fought battle. And I'm a fan of in the middle. I like your, you know, your middle scoring, 28-25, 28-21, 25-24, something like that. Uh, but I don't mind your occasional 41-38 game scores like that, or even 16-3 or 6-3 or 9-3 in the first half. You know, we've had a lot of those lately. So I don't mind those either. It's It's just unfortunate because... I don't know, I'm beginning to wonder if that was a penalty based on Chris Edwards' reputation rather than a penalty that absolutely had to be necessitatedly called in the fourth quarter of a game on setting down when the Eskimos were off the field. Eh, I don't know, but we'll leave it at that. And at the end of the day, I think Eskimo fans will concur with me on this. I'm not trying to crap on Calgary either. I mean... They deserved to win. They did enough to win the game. Edmonton did not. And and it's as simple as if, if you're hoping your the results of your football game in the hands of the referee and you're hoping for a call to get a break, then you didn't do enough to put yourself in position to be successful. Just my two cents there. Uh, and, and then we'll talk about the battle of Ontario. And, and we'll do that right now. Hamilton and Toronto. Hamilton jumping out to a 14-0 lead. And I'll just run through the summary here very, very quickly. As soon as I can find it, I can tell you that the Hamilton Tiger Cats rated the ship uh, for now with a big victory over Toronto, 42-38. Sorry, 42-28. Can't read today for some reason. Uh, Toronto had no scoring in the first and fourth quarter. When, oddly enough, Hamilton, that's when they did their most damage. So, Toronto dominated the second and third quarter scoring-wise. Hamilton outscored Toronto 30 to nothing in the first and fourth quarter. The score was 28-10 to 10 in the second and third quarter favoring Toronto. Real quick on the scoring summary. Uh, Alex Green, six-yard rush from Jeremiah Mazzoli, but th- that doesn't count. 
Uh, Lou Tasker, 56 yards from Jeremiah Mazzoli, 14-0. Interception helps set up this. One yard, James Franklin run. And a Ryan Bombin three-yard catch from James Franklin where Bombin lined up as a receiver. And James Franklin puts it right in his hand. We're tied at 14. And then one big play before the end of the half. Eight seconds left. Brian Banks, 19-yard pass from Jeremiah Mazzoli. That made the score 21-14. Aiden Darby with a 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown. At 10-21, it was exactly the same play that Calgary had happened to them in the Great Cup last year, and it led to that long first touchdown. Uh, James Frank went on a two-yard touchdown run from nobody, just himself, actually, and it's two touchdowns for Toronto. In the third quarter, of it go unanswered, so in fact, we're actually tied again at... Just going to have a quick look here. Yeah, we're... Toronto actually went up at that point. Uh, Hamilton cuts back in at a lead, 28-24. to Liam Hawahu makes a 52-yard field goal and a 36-yard field goal to cut the deficit to 28-27. Now it's all coming back to me. And then Alex Green puts the Hamilton Tiger Cats up 33-28. And they get the two-point convert to go up 35-28. And then the game salting away touchdown as time is running out. Brandon Banks, after uh, the Toronto defense, got tired of 27-yard touchdown catch from Jeremiah Mazzoli. I don't know why, but it's showing James Franklin as the top-rated quarterback in this game. at one for one, three yards and a touchdown. Jeremiah Mazzoli, 26 of 35, 385. Three touchdowns, one interception. James Wilder, 11 carries, 47 yards, no touchdowns. Alex Green, 18 carries, 115 yards, 6.4 yard average, two touchdowns and one fumble, which he made up for on the touchdown and two-point conversion. S.J. Green, two catches, 41 yards. Brandon Banks, nine catches, 135. Big story in the game, of course, J. Wynn Saunders going down due to injury. And J. Wynn Saunders uh, is out for the season, according to June Jones. And we will have to see how Hamilton regroups with that one going on. And, of course, their number one overall pick is not in with them as he got to try it with the Denver Broncos, which subsequently released as was DeVere Posey, who's now working out for the Buffalo Bills at the time of this recording. So, I- interesting enough, uh, there was some breaking news that came on just before I started recording. That is what the Argos have added. Former Saskatchewan Rough Rider middle linebacker Jeff Knotts Jr. Uh, I believe that's the guy they got. And we'll have a look at that. So, again, it's... Toronto tinkering with the defense and making some changes there. So just quickly here, this show is going to be a little short because it's hard to talk for an hour straight with no co-host, unfortunately, and it's just the way the show was set up here for the next two weeks, uh, and then we'll dive into each game uh, more uh, in-depthly when we get a minute. Uh, when we did a co-host, Players of the week, real fast, 
I'm going to go with at Offensive Player of the Week will be all the receivers that hit 100 yards receiving. That is excellent. And my Player of the Week running back-wise will be uh, Offensive Running Back for Player of the Week will be Alex Green. He did fumble. That's what I meant to say all along. Alex Green uh, makes up for the fumble with a touchdown and two-point conversion. Defensive performance of the week. I'll give it to the entire Montreal Alouettes for holding uh, Ottawa to only 11 points. Special teams player of the week will be Brett Lauder. He made a couple big field goals, as did uh, Rene Paradis. He tipped off Calgary against Edmonton. So this week coming up, we have the recap, which will also be out around the same time. Uh, Ryan is presently working on that one as well. Because I've had some uh, stuff go on uh, this week, which is why I'm recording a little bit later than I wanted to. But fortunately, everything's okay, and I'm able to do the show this week on my own. Uh, this week in the CFL without you know, tooting Ryan's horn too much. We have three rematches. Uh, and then BC is involved in the early game of the week with Ottawa on Friday. Every other game is Saturday. Hamilton, Toronto at noon. Winnipeg, Saskatchewan at 3 o'clock in Winnipeg. And we will have that at 3 o'clock. And then 6 o'clock will be the Battle of Alberta. We will remind you of... A few things, and that is that Ryan is no longer going to be participating, at least uh, for this season anyway, on this recap show as he focuses on school. And that is a decision that I commend him for doing. And he's got his final semester of school, and then he'll be back in the offseason um, as well. Also, it is a... New co-host, which I'm going to be announcing in the next couple weeks to fill in for Ryan Tribby in the next week or so. If you listen to Mighty FM, you will know uh, this gentleman very, very well. He participates on a lot of our hockey coverage and a lot of our hockey coverage uh, game-wise and show-wise as well. So he'll be familiar to those of you that listen to Might FM. I just want to mention as well, uh, Fichetti got hurt for Winnipeg, was replaced in practice uh, earlier this week by my, uh, earlier today I should say, by Michael Couture. He will be presumably in place of Fichetti, who is subsequently in place of Jamarcus Hardwick, who's been taken off the sixth game. So stop me if you're confused there. Ah, uh, I am. But Labor Day is a good uh, quick uh, couple of games. And we'll have a quick uh, look as well at the standings before we leave you on this edition of the Canadian Football Countdown. Ottawa sits at 4 in the East. Hamilton 5-5. Five and five, All of a sudden, one game back. Uh, Toronto 3-7. and seven, Montreal 3-8. and eight. So, yeah, the battle continues. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens if Toronto loses this week to Hamilton? Um, as both teams will be three and eight, 
Uh, especially if the Bombers beat Seattle and BC loses to Ottawa. I mean, don't want to say the crossover is a given, but Seattle now Calgary 9 and 1. So Saskatchewan sits in four to second in the West for the first time this year. Edmonton sits in five. The Bombers five and six. BC three and six. BC technically one game back to the Bombers because they have two fewer games played. So even that is not over. If the Bombers hit the stage and BC starts winning, man, that could be a very, very interesting final couple weeks. I think if you're a Bomber fan, you want uh, Ottawa to win the early game of the week, and then you're hoping for another win for Hamilton over Toronto, but I think now you're kind of just getting to the point where if you're the Bombers, you've lost three in a row, now you're going to kind of survive yourself, right? It's You don't want this to get the four games, but, you know, if you want to lose, you want to have the right teams lose with you, and for the record, I, I do not think the Bombers will win this week. Spoiler to my pits. Um, that's unfortunate, but I think there'll be another close game. I'm just not sure the Bombers can win. It is sold out, by the way, in Winnipeg, so I'm looking forward to that game. This week, we're looking forward to every game, as there's a lot at stake, and seemingly it's Calgary, and then everybody else, two through nine, and it just gets real interesting, um, because I think even Montreal's in the running for, well, a playoff spot for sure, I don't know about a home playoff game. I think that might be a stretch for sure. Um, but, you know, you just never know. Everything's division games, right? You win those, you make up ground fairly quickly. And that's the positive thing with Winnipeg is once they're done with Saskatchewan, they did two at Edmonton, two at Calgary, one more with Saskatchewan. So, you know, and they could win. They had a fairly long winning streak. So they could still finish 12 and 6. Not lightly, but they could win seven in a row to end the year. They finish at 12 and sits and everything's dead. And, to be honest with you, I, I do think the Bombers will will uh, find a way to get into the West Division playoffs as the three seed. They'll probably notice the stats when they play the two seed, but you just never know what will happen. I, I do believe there will be a crossover, and something tells me that it will either be Edmonton or Winnipeg battling it out for the final spot. I, I think BC is too far out of it. Uh, I don't think they have... You know, what it takes. They've lost so many close games. It seems like one play and they, you know, can't make the big play at the big time, which would give them a big victory. So it is just very interesting, you know, the way that plays out. I know I said I'd wrap up the show about five minutes ago, but I had a whole bunch of stuff come on at the last minute. So I will remind you that the the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all the other great Canadian football podcast sh- podcast network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca on your internet browser and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. All right, we will have a normal show, like I said, next week. Find us on all your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Want to listen to old episodes of the show? Visit our show. Visit our show's website at mightyfmwinnipeg.com slash that Canadian Football Countdown, all hyphenated. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at CFC on MightyFM. For myself, Michael Dale, thanks for listening to the Canadian Football Countdown, and I'll talk to you again next week. 
Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. And we'll talk next week. Bye for now.